0: hi everybody welcome to the spin cycle podcast podcast talking to the personalities the groups and the brands that make uh, the uk and london just an incredible place to be a cyclist uh, today we've got quite a special guest with us long uh, longtime friend of ours Someone that, no doubt, the London scene definitely knows. And I also think someone that's doing some really incredible work, especially around uh, the mental health side, uh, it's uh, Ben May. Ben May, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear
0: um, so, Ben, obviously, we we look to break the podcast into three sections, right? So the first one is getting mm-hmm. to know you, who are you as a person, mm-hmm. Second one is Who Your Things. So we can talk about the new normal and some of the incredible work that you do around uh, grief counseling at mental health. And congratulations, by the way, on 1,000 meetings crossed. We're recording this in early or mid December, but congrats on that, by the way.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, a, a reasonable
0: milestone, I believe. <laughs> and then the third section will do the the classic QA, uh, you know, white bib short agenda etc 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 so so Ben um, to start us off maybe you tell the listeners the viewers um who are you and maybe how you got into cycling
1: uh yeah um sorry one of my cats has just decided to join me at that exact moment which is very good of him um so I'm Ben um yeah I got into cycling when did I get into cycling uh I think I was 31 when I got into cycling so um, my dad had been sick um, in 2015, and into 2016, he died in
0: 2016. Uh, sorry.
1: And when he did, I did the classic thing that I always do, which is, you know, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to raise money, I'm going to raise money. And everyone was like, well, how are you going to raise money? So I, was like, ah, you know, I'll work it out, I'll ride a bike or something. Um, and at the time, I was still a 20 a day smoker. Um, I still drank a bit, but not. Much anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and I hadn't ridden a geared bike in about twenty years. I had no real understanding of cycling apart from commuting every now and then on a single speed. Yeah. I had pretty good fitness, you know. I played a lot of sport when I was a kid and went to the gym sort of five six days a week at that point. But yeah, cycling was not something that I knew a lot about. And then people start saying, "Well, where are you going to ride this?" bike this fictional bike that you're going to (laughs) get I was like oh you know I'll just I'll do something easy like um, I'll ride from John O'Groats to Southampton okay and so for the next couple of months yeah for the next couple of months I just walked around telling everyone that yeah I'm going to ride from John O'Groats to Southampton and so (laughs) my my dad died in the August I agreed that I would return to his home by the 31st of July the following year yeah And in the February, I decided to Google how far it was. (laughs) And I realized how much of an idiot I was about that point. Okay. When did Um, the
2: panic, when did the panic start?
1: I have, do you know what? (laughs) My mum, when the the day that I went and got my CSE results, my stepdad stood in the driveway with me outside his and my mum's house. And I was smoking a cigarette before he went off to work and he said to me, How do you think you've got on? Did you do any revision? Mm. This is like on the day of me getting my results. <laughs> it was a bit of a, He's like, a wasted <laughs> question. Yeah, like who like, what does it matter anyway? But I, I and I genuinely and my mum still tells people this story because she thinks it's so ridiculous. Mm. And actually it is so ridiculous, but it, it speaks volumes of how I was walking around saying what I was saying about doing this cycling challenge. I actually said to my stepdad, I didn't revise. No, I've relied completely on my natural talent and
0: ability. <laughs> and That's such an incredible 16-year-old <laughs> GCSE.
1: I'm invincible.
0: Don't worry about yeah. it. I've done it. I've got it covered, mate. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've got two
0: Cs. Okay.
1: <laughs> that was it. Fair, Fair enough. I've got two Cs uh, and and a, and quite a few ungraded. <laughs> um, so I obviously nailed that. But this same confidence, unfortunately, still, you know, was still very present to me <laughs> um, when by the time I was I was 30, 31. And so yeah, I Googled it and I I didn't really think much of it. I, I ended up uh, borrowing a bike off of um, borrowing a bike off of a customer, a client of mine. You know, I've been a, been in the hairdressing industry now for 21 years and I was really fortunate this this customer of mine said, Yeah, I've got a, I've got a bike. And I picked it up in the March. So again, not really ridden yeah. the bike, still smoking twenty a day. It was middle of March by this point. I just bought a pair of bib shorts. That was it. You know, I, I didn't even have a bike. And then eventually, I picked it up, and it was this old steel touring bike. Mm-hmm. It was heavy, and it still had the panniers on, and these really big, heavy, you know, mud guards. Mm. <clears throat> Did it have a dynamo, to my dynamo light as
0: well, potentially?
1: <laughs> no, no, it was it was an undesirable bike to try and ride this distance on, mm. and I ended up ended up taking it to my friend's shop. He took the mud guards off for me and took the panniers off for me, and I, I remember doing the first ride. I was living in Holloway at the time, mm. just by the Emirates, and uh, I I rode from my house to Richmond Park. I had two laps of Richmond park and then I rode home mm-hmm. from Holloway and it was about probably about sixty-five, seventy kilometers in total. Yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. Having never ridden. Yeah. Having never ridden a road bike, you know, as wherever well, really. <laughs> and I just went in and did a 65, 70 KK ride and I was like, Oh, okay. Right. Next day got up and went and did another ride. Mm. And within about three weeks, I bought my first road bike. I, you know, realized that I really like this sport. It's quite good, isn't it? Mm. And by, so that was, that was the end of March. And by the end of April, I did my first 300 kilometer day. Shit. Um, Yeah, without really thinking about it, I just knew that I had to learn to ride quite far. Um, And I was doing, by May, I was doing five, 600K weeks, just back to back wow without really without really resting and going out and doing 250 300k you know single day on a weekend Mm. and then backing up with like another 100 100 miles 160k the next day so yeah just i just immediately sort of could ride a bike Mm. i quit smoking um like a month in i was like i'll quit smoking for now because i'm pretty certain i need to go fast yeah Really really annoyed actually because I never had you know, when people talk about quitting smoking and they talk about the, the coughing up all of the stuff and I never had any of that. I was really I was really irked by that <laughs> I'm still you know, I smoked for 17, 18 years. I still feel really shortchanged. I
0: I got <laughs> Don't that have a good story. I got that. It happened to me. Yeah, Happ- you had that yeah. So my daughter was born in April of two thousand and twenty two. So she's yeah, just over a year yeah. and a half. And um I was still pretty fit. I had a like a 50 beats a minute heart rate, resting rate. I was cycling all the time. And, uh, what actually happened with me was it got to the January. So my, my daughter was due in four months. And my wife said to me in in her incredibly French way, she said, well, you're not going to be one of those fucking guys that smokes until I give birth. And then you just quit. Right. Because, uh, that's that's not great it's essentially you just you've just decided that's not you know so i was like actually do you know what you make quite a good point that what the hell am i doing i'm just gonna quit and mm. immediately within about three weeks it no longer hurt to go to like 180 170 and then yeah i properly coughed it all up it started like a bit slow my immune system started kicking in, start getting on the tube and I could smell like the, you know, like the breaking, you know what the tube smells like? That weird metallic smell. Yeah. Never smelled that before. Mm. I lived in London for 12 years. Never smelled the smell of the tube. Got that. And then I was like, started coughing up. All this crap came up. I was like, I had the flu for a week. And then I was like, holy shit. This is how normal people feel. And don't me wrong. Mm. Uh, I still really enjoy the vapes, but the uh yeah the cigarette part i think it's it's cleared itself it's completely different
1: yeah i never i never had that i'm still i'm still like i say I'm still annoyed that I never had that because I wanted a reason to quit yeah. like i wanted and and it, and it really so i remember when my dad when my dad was diagnosed um my dad died from a brain tumor, and when he was diagnosed mm-hmm. um they said we want to find out where the cancer is coming from, so we're going to bring you in and do a full body scan. My stepmom was adamant that he had lung cancer because he had been smoking for forty years. Yeah. And when they did the scan, they told him he had the lungs of a non-smoker. Wow. Yeah. And <coughs> the last thing he ever tried to do actually was stand up to go for a fag blessing. Oh. He couldn't open his eyes. He couldn't talk mm. to you for months and months and months, but he could still shuffle to the back door for four fags a day. Mm. Like it was just like I. Kudos to him for, for the for, for the effort. It was the only thing he did. But like, yeah. He, so I'm 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 convinced that genetically, you know, annoyingly, like my my lungs have, have always been okay. Um, but yeah, you know, as I say, I, I was I was kind of riding these long these long weeks and not really thinking about it. And then sat down to plot a route. And Jonagold's you know, a really long
0: way away. I don't know if either of you have ever.
1: Been.
0: No. Uh, my family's from Scotland, and I've never taken my wife. Yeah. But John O'Groats is really but- fucking far, like even far from being in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, it's dumb
1: how far away. It is <laughs> with like for, for like <laughs> for the fact that there is like one one road that takes yeah. you from like all the way to John O'Groats, and you've got no choice—you ride on it and you drive on it—and like there's not like that's yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah and you know for anyone listening who has who has done that ride i was i was doing it the other way around so we drove up it's thinking back it's ridiculous we drove up on the sunday morning and we got to john o'groats myself and my brother and we had a bit of food and went to bed i rode the bike up and down the road to make sure it was okay <laughs> and then the next morning i got up and in Inverness. <laughs> And he was in the car, just driving a bit ahead of me. And, you know, he was useless. Even my brother, my brother's <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: he was genuine. Shout like, out, Ben's the <laughs> worst person. <laughs> like honestly, there was. We ended up. So we ended up. I did. I did. John O'Groats to Inverness day one. Inverness to Edinburgh day two. Edinburgh to Leeds day three. Leeds to London, day four, and London to Southampton, day five. So I did, it was 1150 kilometres in five days.
2: That's absurd.
0: The the Leeds to London and then London to Southampton. That is, sorry, Ben, but any normal person would split that out a little bit more than that, potentially. You would, you know, just make it a bit more even. Edinburgh to
1: London, yeah, Edinburgh to London in, in two days. And that had, I think also as well, I had a double, it was a double Everest over those five days as well. So it was a really, oh. the route planning was garbage.
2: Did you go through like the Peak District and the like...
1: Yeah, 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 peaks, lakes. like You <laughs> name it, I went through it. <laughs> so dumb, like... But I'd been riding a bike for like four months. I had no idea. Right? I had just had not even four months, like three and a half. I had no idea. I didn't realise how far it was. I didn't realise how much it would hurt. Yeah. I didn't realise like any of it, you know. But there was this amazing moment where, so the cycling through Scotland mm. from from Edinburgh to Edinburgh to, to Leeds that day was hard. That was three hundred and fifty kilometres. It poured with rain. From the minute I rolled out of Edinburgh until probably about 50k outside of Leeds, there was a block headwind the entire day. Really? There's one video of me riding through the Scottish borders, where it looks like I'm going up a, a gradient that's probably about seven or eight percent. I'm actually riding downhill. It's That hard, <laughs> like I'm at the saddle and I'm going full full gas and I'm and, it, and I'm going nowhere. And but there was this one point we we I climbed up this. I don't even know, like maybe five hundred meter climb just outside of Leeds, you know, not far from Leeds. It was getting it was getting late in the yeah. day. And genuinely I got to the top <laughs> got to the top of this climb and I was cooked. And I got off the bike, I leant the bike up against the car and I whipped the gilet out of the car and I put it on. And my brother got out of the car and he stood up and he went, Oh, my back is absolutely killing me. I am knackered. <laughs> um, I grabbed my bike and I just told him to fuck off and I just rode off down the, down the descent I was like you're, you're just fuck, fuck off Ryan <laughs> <laughs> honestly it was a, a horrible experience a horrible experience but it, it's yeah that's how I got into it it was it was just you know it, it's me being my unnecessarily confident self I, of course I'm going to do that like I don't if, I'm, I'm just going to go and do that there's no worry about that I'm not going to think about it and I ended up raising about eight and a half grand for the amazing. hospice when my, when my dad died, which oh, great. You know, I was that's really, huge. yeah, really, really happy about that. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I was really pleased. Um, and cause they were amazing when my dad died, you know, so, so they, they deserved that support. Um, but yeah, that's, that is how I got into bicycling.
2: That's amazing. What, what bike yeah. did you end up buying?
1: Oh, I don't even know.
0: I can't remember the name of the brand. Ben, it was was white. it a Claude Butler? Do you remember Claude Butler? No,
1: not really. I know, I know of Claude Butlers because I have seen them, but I yeah, I think I was I'm you know, this uh, this was still only six and a bit years ago.
0: Yeah, Claude Butler was. NJ and I would want to get into cycling, and you would. Mm. So uh, I I started cycling maybe, oh goodness me, about 14 years ago or so when I was like properly uncle and to get a road bike, <laughs> somebody would be like, oh, your uncle cycles. And invariably it would be with like 20 mil wheels. You know, it would just mm. be, it, nobody really knew how to work on these things. Everybody's mate was a mechanic that just fixed it. And the bike of choice was the Claude Butler. And my parents, I remember saying, I was like, I'd like a bike, road bike, like my Uncle Mark. Shout out Uncle Mark if you're listening to this. He's a pilot. He's a really great guy. Um, He rode Claude Butler. Do you think he is listening? Uh, No, he's a pilot and does long haul, so he probably is not. But... (laughs)
1: I don't know if that's the reason why it's not it, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> but my my parents were like this was this was when like box section aluminum meals when you could like open cycling weekly, Lancer's trek Madone was in there, and Lance's Trek Madome was like mm. thirteen hundred quid, and it, was, and it was like a thousand pounds for a bike. It's never happening, mm. never happening mm. dark ages, yeah. Those were the actual dark ages.
1: I mean, one of my customers was in today. I won't name him, um, but he's, he's, uh, he's a bit. You know, he's he's been riding and racing for for many many years, and he was complaining today, as he often does, um, about the state of cycling mm. and how expensive bikes are now. And like, it's a it's a fair point. I mean, my second bike was a was a, uh, an SL six. Great bike. And that was. Yeah, fantastic! It was the it was the um, oil slick one as well. If you remember that one, yep. the one that kind of changed from green to black. Yeah. Beautiful bike, and also you know it, it was my second bike. I was so fortunate to be in a position to be able to get that. Yeah. But that was five and a half thousand, and I thought this is the most I'm probably ever going to pay for a bike. How wrong was I? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so after off- so
1: a terrible, terrible
0: assumption. So after you finished the. The, the Land's End of Southampton. What happened next? So, John O'Groat. Sorry, sorry. I'll start that again because I fucked that. Land's End sounds like it's around the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. Let me start that again. I fucked that one
2: up. You've wrecked the whole journey.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me start that again. Let's edit that one out. Um, so, after you did John O'Groat Southampton, what happened next? What mm-hmm. turned you in from doing. Big distances primarily raising money for your father's hospice how did that how did that change from there
1: um so a few months later was the first red bull time lapse Uh, yeah and one of my friends not even a few months it was like two months Mm. later One of my friends got in touch and said, oh, do you fancy doing this? You know, I only had a couple of friends at the time who cycled. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'm really up for this, actually. Like, I, you know, I could ride bikes for a while, you know, a, a long time. So, said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And um, <clears throat> yeah, what I learned really quickly was doing that, firstly, that I was terrible at fueling. <laughs> Secondly, that I'm awful at getting a sleep. Like, I didn't sleep a wink doing that, doing that time lapse with three mm-hmm. other friends <clears throat> and then um and then the final thing was that i was desperate to ride my bike as quick as i could yeah like i really 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 wanted to be as fast as the fast people doing that and i ended up going with a friend to dirty weekends do you remember i dirty remember Weekend? dirty weekends they're like uh there was yeah yeah they were uh Uh, a club set up by David Bavin you know lovely guy really nice group of people my friend Joe and I went along to their fast laps and we met another guy called John who's John Snell from
0: Trash Mile John Snell
1: um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he's one of the the founders of of Trash Mile so We, we met John and that that first labs I got dropped like a stunt <laughs> and I was like this is amazing <laughs> and and we just kept going back and week on week on week you know it would take longer to get dropped and you know you're going back to the park and there are other days where you're like I really just want to go and ride fast and then in the February one of them said oh we're going to go and race this race do you want to come knew nothing about bike racing didn't understand it at all got a license you know like a couple of nights before online turned up and it was hog hill and i got dropped i got dropped on the downhill off the (laughs) bike. so so there was like ice on the corner and I was absolutely pranging out. I didn't know how to corner still at this point. I wasn't comfortable riding in a group. You know, this was like, what, 10, 11 months later? And I got dropped on the downhill section off the line. My heart rate was like 120 on the line. And (laughs) I I rode for 40 minutes completely on my own. And I loved every second of it. You know, I got lapped and, you know, it was... I suppose for other people it might have been embarrassing. Mm. For me, I didn't really care. I just thought this is great. I want to do more of this. And what I ended up doing was going away and realizing that I needed to, to get stronger. Nice. And I went road and, rode and rained and I just kept going back to the park and, and and riding, riding, riding. And then at the end of that year, in the September, I went and I did a couple of races, and I think I did about three three races. I managed to get my third cap. Oh, that's amazing. And that was, you know, I was just completely sold on the whole idea of of bike racing. And that was what, 2018? Mm -hmm. End of 2018? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where are we now? 2023, yeah. So it would have been the end of 2018.
0: just over five years.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I started racing, yeah, pretty much just just over five years ago, essentially. And, And... yeah that was that was that was kind of it like next season managed to get my my second cat and you know again I'm not I'm not you know I'm 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 not a particularly good bike racer I've got terrible like I'm terrible at reading the race absolutely awful like when I was a third cat, I thought I could sit on the front and still win, like sit on the front for 45, 50 minutes and still win. And I couldn't. And then when I moved up to second cat, I thought I could do the Mm. same thing. I just couldn't. And I'm not, I'm never going to win a bunch sprint. I never say never, but you know, you know, I'm 63 kilos, 64 kilos. Like I'm not a sprinter, Mm. you know? Um, But there's something about racing and there's something about training and there's something about getting stronger that, that I really, 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 enjoy and for me now racing you know I spent the last two seasons um, racing for Team London and the, 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 the cool thing is has been going like stepping up to race Nappy. Oh,
0: and that be mega
1: and you know I don't know what these people think of me still on the start line but I know that I'm looking at them thinking fuck the <laughs> <heck."> <laughs> Always, like, always, and I'm here like these guys are fucking quick, and like for a bit, I'm in that race with them. And it's it's turning up and and going back on that start line and seeing improvements, mm-hmm. getting better, staying in the races. You know when you're when you're going out and you're racing, I don't know, 150 odd k Nat B road race, and you're finishing with guys that have been racing years, you know, years and years mm-hmm. and years they're still in their 20s they've never been a smoker they didn't take a significant amount of class a drugs in their <laughs> teens and 20s you know like and you're able to to turn up and do mm-hmm. that it might not seem like a big achievement to some people to be finishing you know 30th in a natby road race but for me that's the challenge is is you know and, and next season going back again and and improving on those results and getting better and getting closer to those mm-hmm. riders and and that's the challenge for me. You know, I I always want to be, whenever I do anything, I I, I want to be the best that I can be, yeah. not for anyone else, but for me. You know, it's my test for myself. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of what's happened with cycling. I've just, yeah, I fell in love. And, and I realized very quickly that if I worked hard, and I think this might be the working class part of me as well, right? You know, I grew up really working class. Yeah. But if you work hard you'll see you know you'll you'll get what you deserve if you work hard essentially you know and that and that's and in cycling that's a really that that you can see that trajectory if i work hard i can see my results in real time and i think because maybe it didn't work out quite like that for me in business Mm -hmm. you know with, with my businesses that actually this is quite fulfilling because i i can i can literally see all of those years of being told work hard and you'll you'll learn and you'll and you'll move up and you'll see progression and here i can see that it's right in front of me you know and
0: i like well maybe that's a really good time for us to head to a break and hear about the new normal charity thank you
2: welcome back everyone. So Ben, uh can you tell us about tnn and the outstanding work that Jack and yourself do?
1: Yeah, I can, yeah. So um as I mentioned earlier, my dad died in twenty sixteen. And a year before he did, I'd met this kid called Jack. He had walked into my barber shop to get a haircut and sat in my chair and we just started chatting and You know, we we immediately connected on music and style and football and we were both working class kids, you know, had really similar upbringings. After about 20 minutes of this, this haircut, Jack said to me that his dad, who he had been talking about, his dad Dave, had actually died two years earlier. And it was a serendipitous moment because my dad, Steve had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor the week before. And here I was chatting to this person who was just like me. And so after my dad died in 2016 and after Jack had a had a bit of a, you know, we would call it a breakdown at the beginning of of 2018. He came to me and he he said you know this, this conversations that you and i have about our dads you know would you be interested in having them with anyone else and i could see that my my mate needed something
2: yeah
1: and i said yeah well, yeah sure why not like why don't we why don't we explore that and he said well why don't we go to the hospices where our dad's died i said no nah. i said let's not do that i said let's do something around here. Let's do something local to, to London. It's what we know. And I had been in, so I had actually been in peer support in my mid twenties for anger okay. management. So I went and did a year and a half of management when I was, when I was young. I've been in a relationship that had become really verbally abusive, mm-hmm. or at least I had become really verbally abusive, okay. and I decided that I needed to change. And yeah, I whilst I was was going through this process, I did one-on-one and then it went into group. And, And when it went into group, it was just this really beautiful experience of being sat in a room with other men who were violent people. And we just spoke. And when we spoke, there was this shared commonality. And you listen to other people and you listen to their experiences and you realize what they're saying. It resonates so much with you and this commonality reduces that isolation and that loneliness, that feeling that I'm the only person who knows this. It makes you feel like you belong to something like there are other people out there who understand you, but also it allows you to understand what you've been doing and why it's wrong and why it's bad and why it's hurtful and harmful to others because you're listening to your stories play out through others. And so when I said to Jack, no, let's not go to the hospices. I had something like that Mm. group in mind where I wanted to put other people in a room together like us. And so we found a space in North London in Angel and we picked a date the 21st of May, 2018. And We spoke about it on our social media. We just told everyone Mm. this is what we're going to do. We're going to, here's this room. We're going to be there. People can come down and we're just going to talk about grief. Just going to talk about the people that we love, the people that have died. Just together. That's it. There was no agenda really apart from wanting to bring people together in this room. Yeah. And we posted about it and posted about it and posted about it. And so many people got in touch. Amazing. And then. You know, it, when Jack says it's his only tweet that ever went semi-viral, but <laughs> National <laughs> Rail, for some reason, picked up. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and loads of people commented on it on, on, on National Rail. <laughs> okay. So we had no idea who was going to turn up. So we bought so many biscuits. <laughs> like, so many biscuits. And we stood in this room... You know, 7 seven p.m. on the 21st of, of May, 2018. And by five past seven, five other people had walked in that room. Awesome. And we all made a cup of tea and we sat down. And for the next two hours, we just spoke about the people that we missed.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was it. That was the first ever meeting. That was the first ever good grief. And, you know, a few months later we came back and a few months after that we came back again then we found a new home then we became monthly and then bi-weekly and weekly and then the pandemic happened Mm. and we took everything online and then at the same time other stuff was happening you know we had the murder of George Floyd which was a huge moment for Jack and I you know it was a huge moment and I've spoken about this in the US as well and in the US they were really surprised when when I when I spoke about it in the way I did. But the murder of George Floyd really, <clears throat> for me, was the first the first thing that really cut through in British media. It was the first time that we really heard about yeah. police brutality,
2: yeah.
1: you know, people of colour in in North America. And obviously there were other cases of it, but this was a moment where we were all at home and we were seeing this play out on our TVs, on our phones, you know, on our computers every single day. And I remember really reflecting on myself and my identity and who I was and yeah. all of these other parts of myself, you know, that that ultimately contributed to my experience. Mm-hmm. And Jack and I spoke and we realized that our experience maybe wasn't everyone else's experience. Okay. And from that moment, we started to work with other people in our community to create new spaces. So we created black and brown good grief for people of colour, queer good grief for the LGBTQ plus community. It's complicated for people who had lost people to suicide or who have maybe been estranged. Yeah. You know, partner loss, student good grief. You know, all of these meetings that ultimately started to acknowledge the nuances and experience that weren't just Jack and Mike, you know, two straight cis white men. Mm -hmm. You know, there were other people with other identities that we needed to Serve and we were training people, and people were becoming hosts, and it was growing and growing and growing. And in 2021, one of our volunteers moved to Hong Kong, and then started complaining to me that there were no meetings that she could go to because <laughs> she was in Hong Kong. Yeah. I said, "All right, well, you know, make your own meetings. Get on with it." And yeah, we're now a charity in Hong Kong. We have around about twenty-five volunteers, I think, working over there. Oh, that's amazing! They run about yeah, Jesus. they run about ten meetings a month in Hong Kong. Yeah, Jesus, it's amazing, is incredible. Mm. Then earlier this year as well, we founded in North America, so we launched across the Americas, and um, we're a charity in California, mm-hmm. and. In February, we'll be launching in-person meetings in Venice and then later in the year in West Hollywood, Ohio, and the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, I think we currently run close to 30 meetings a month in the UK alone. Wow. So we run a lot of groups. Yeah, a lot of them are online. Um, a lot of them are online you know, we still have some in-person ones that I run in central London and all of the ones in Hong Kong are in in person. And you know, the ones that will be in California will all be in person as well. But yeah, we've incredibly over the last five and a half years, Mm. we've now hosted over a thousand meetings to, I think around 10,000 participants from, from over 26 countries in the world. Um, you know, I've I've sat on a call with people from Hong Kong, mm-hmm. then people kind of scattered around Southeast Asia, someone who was in mainland China, and then someone who was in Libya. Oh, wow. And, you know, we used to think it was crazy that people were coming from West London to East London. <laughs> and I've sat on calls now with people who set their alarms for four o'clock in the morning in Australia to get up and be in these meetings.
0: That's incredible.
1: You know, the, yeah. the other day I hosted a call where I had two people in North America, you know, one person in India, mm. you know, people across the UK, people across We're seeing people from Africa, from, from India. It, it's, the, the reach of this is unbelievable. And currently we have one full-time member of staff and me who works (laughs) part-time and that's it. You know, we've got 120 volunteers and that's just what we do. That's just our meetings. You know, the other work that we do, which I'm really proud of, we work a lot in suicide prevention. Okay. So, you know, our belief is, you know, reducing isolation is reducing suicide so this year alone I've spoken on two panels for the government on suicide Mm -hmm. um, suicide prevention Mm -hmm. Um, and you know we're funded by other organisations to go into communities already existing communities and give them the tools to hold their own space to hold their groups you know this year we've worked with the elderly we've worked with people in the trans community, neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've worked with people um, from, you know, different heritage, different identities, different backgrounds. You know, people who are living in some of the most deprived parts of the country, deprived parts of London, you know, it, going into, going into January, our, our January cohorts, are so what I'm proud of is, is, the people we're reaching the NHS doesn't reach them, big charities don't reach them, but we're reaching them and we're working with them. And I'm so proud of that, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's the work that we don't talk about because you know, we're, we're, we're talking about our meetings, but you know, the other work we're doing is, is so important. And, and we've just developed as well. Now we've just developed a load of, you know, modules for, for education in workplaces around grief, as well, which is so important, you know, how many times do people lose someone and they go into work and their boss doesn't know how to speak to them, their manager doesn't know how to speak to them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so now our focus as well is on educating corporates, you know, getting people to understand, you know, how to communicate in grief. And it's ultimately just about community. It's about building community. It's about reducing isolation. It's about giving people a place to be able to go and speak, being vulnerable, being open, you know, and feeling like they belong, like I did when I went into that anger management group.
0: So, I mean, it's really interesting what you say about, especially like the January group. So maybe this is even the forum to do it, but, you know, we're talking amongst friends. I had a really difficult part of my life. Um, seven years ago, I spent some time in hospital for my mental health because, um, I wasn't doing great, and i was and I was alone I was very alone, and I thought I was on the right track and I thought I was doing what I thought was right, and I'll be honest with you um you know my my wife and I met uh probably about five and a half years ago, and she was uh if I didn't have her support network, I actually don't know if i'd I'd be here now because she was the one that really kind of Two things I think Made me face up to what I was living with But also kind of made me face myself And be like You know This is what you are, this is how you're living And and maybe you move past that She's, She's very good at that And she listens to all of our podcasts I just want to say, hi Clarice, I love you But but Ben, maybe An extension of that, Like you said, you do an incredible amount of work Around your space And you do some work with the NHS And You know, we spoke off podcast about, especially the mental health of people that are cycling or it's the kind of the hidden thing, right? The cycling thing is I need to be lighter. I need to be riding my bike way more. Mm -hmm. I need to be more committed. And is, is, you know, what is good? Where am I there? So, I mean, it's not to ask you the question, why is mental health important? But it's more of a, you know, where do you stand with that, especially with the new normal charity, which is you know, mainly focused on grief, but fundamentally mental health and cycling, like, just give us your thoughts on that, because, you know, you come at it from both sides, right?
1: Well, firstly, mental health is important. Understanding ourselves is important mm. for, for a number of reasons, but for me, the, the, the main reason. So, the world we live in now is a is a is a is a tumultuous and difficult place Mm. it's an incredibly lonely and isolating place and it's a place that's wrought with trauma and we as individuals are wrought with trauma we we experience so much trauma all the time Mm. the for me healing Mm. is understanding who we are where we come from why we behave the way we behave and and how our behaviour and our actions what those implications are. Now, this is key because if we want to progress as a race, as a people, as a, you know, as humans, we have to explore ourselves, we have to understand ourselves. And in doing so, we create so much more capacity within ourselves to understand others. Mm. And that capacity, that compassion and that empathy collectively allows us to heal and progress and move forward and evolve. So our mental health isn't just important for us, it's also important for the good of all other people. You know, I believe in all people and I believe that we all have... A right mm. to one another. We all have a contract with one another to improve ourselves individually, to collectively prosper. So mental health is important for that. You know, our day-to-day well-being, of course, as well. Mm. Cycling is pretty bad for your mental health. Yeah. Because there are so many things that can make you think that you're not having a good day on the bike. Maybe your kit doesn't fit as well as it did a few days ago. Maybe, you know, it's harder to turn the pedals than it was the last time you went out and ran. Yeah. You know, maybe you, you ride your bike because you think you need to lose weight or maybe you ride your bike because, you know, you're running away from whatever it is that you're not going and speaking to a therapist about or speaking to friends about or your, your partner or your family, mm. whoever it is. Cycling has so many toxic traits. Yeah. And one of the things that really concerns me is when people say, Oh, cycling is my therapy. Mm. Yeah. It, it it shouldn't be. Yeah, the only therapy that is, is therapy is therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife says the same next. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: The actual facts like that's yeah. black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. That's that's that is black and white. And so using a sport or using, you know, a, a yeah, a tool like cycling to try and improve your mental health your movement and being active can improve your well-being mm-hmm. speaking and being open and vulnerable about how you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you have experienced is therapy yeah and the two of them along with other things eating well sleeping as much as you can you know not over committing in things these are the things that can improve your mental health and well-being generally. But using one of them as a tool to replicate all things is definitely not the answer. No.
2: Very well said.
0: I agree.
1: Thanks.
2: <laughs> talking of, uh, I guess, as we we're talking about cycling, you've just recently done an epic bike ride for charity was it mm. 600 kilometers in 25 hours
1: uh, it 603.7 kilometers in 24 hours and 15 or 20 minutes something like that gross so,
2: yeah what was your uh i don't wh- wh- where 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 do you even want to start with this highlights low lights <laughs> uh
0: well lowlights <laughs> was the entire thing yeah, yeah. we're now on a this is now a cycling mental health podcast so maybe we start with the lowlights and we, we raise ourselves up into it
1: the 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 lowlights were the middle of the night when I was hallucinating and it had been raining for about 8 straight hours and you know you, it's 2 of the boys had dropped out with hypothermia. there was just 2 of us left and it, there was this moment where I've been riding on the front for quite a bit and I and I flicked my I flick my elbow mm. and you know, moved to the side and nothing happened and I flicked it again and I looked back and my mate Tim just went, I can't ride on the front. Oh no. Oh no And you know, this is like half twelve at night and I was like, okay. And I, we saw each other actually, Tim and I were the two who finished it. And I saw him on Sunday. We haven't spoken about it since. So I've barely been able to think about it. <laughs> um, but we spoke We spoke about it on Sunday and he actually said to me, he said, yeah, he said, I couldn't, I couldn't ride at the speed that you wanted to ride at at that point. Okay. I just knew that I could sit on your wheel and I knew that you wanted to ride a certain tempo. And so, you know, Tim's a really experienced bike rider and bike racer and so he knew he knew what he could and couldn't do and he knew what I wanted to do and so he just let me ride and we were fortunate enough that actually um a good friend of Tim's and a lovely man Henry Furness came and joined us at two in the morning amazing which was just amazing and he sat on the front, yeah he sat on the front for like two and a half hours oh, until that's... another friend of ours Tom turned up and then they started pulling turns and you know, and then loads of other people came along and, and started to started to give us a hand. But I think if you look at that last hour, I mean, this you know, we were because it was tw- it was twenty hours and nine minutes moving time. So you know, God. it's not it's not slow, but that that last hour we were riding at about thirty six k an hour average around Reason's Park after yeah nineteen hours already riding. Yeah. Just trying to get and I and like my friend Leo who rides for Trash. he he, he kept turning around he kept looking at me and he was like how's the speed I was like faster 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 and Tim was just going no, <laughs> no slower and Tim would look away and I'd just go faster faster <laughs> I was wanted to get off the bike you was dumb yeah, so you were dumb, like, you were dumb. It, I hadn't I hadn't mm-hmm yeah 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 and i hadn't listened to music for like six hours i'd just been riding in silence around Regents park by that point for God. six seven hours like you know and, and you're just and i couldn't eat anything because i had like acid yeah. reflux in my chest and i was just just about able to manage a gel every hour and some water i was horrible and there was this really actually my you know there was this really awful moment where teammate two bacon and egg sandwiches what? and i there was no hot food what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just now,
0: like yesterday. there's, no, there's like, like hi tim i hope you're listening to this but at the same time mate <laughs> what are you doing cycling 20 hours and then and then like doing scram that's like like proper food
1: <laughs> yeah i mean he was like he was like sat he was sat like at seven in the morning sat in his fold-up chair in the car park in reasons park eating these two um, two egg and bacon rolls with a cup of coffee. And I was just sat on the bonnet of his car eating a gel. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, can we just get back on the bike? And he was just there with his second bap, Jeez, his coffee. And I was just like, Christ. I just need to ride. I need this to be over. Yeah, it was just, my, my genuine advice is like, don't do it. Don't ride that far.
0: Really? Yeah. It sucks. But Ben, how much money did you raise for charity?
1: I think we raised just under eight grand. So I'm really happy with that. And th- and it was, you know, it was for TNN as well. So it was for the new normal. So, you know, I'm really, I can't, honestly, look, Tim and I, Tim and I di- did that ride. We were the ones who completed mm. it. But Ollie and Jacob rode 400K, 450K Ooh. each as well. You know, we had Ruben mm. um come along uh and mouse as well yeah. from um from knights, yeah, yeah, knights of london in, and both of those yeah. yeah both of those boys rode over 300k you know like that's a huge effort and then everyone else who came along and helped us and supported and and rode turns with us you know like gave us sweets or went and bought us pizza or whatever it was like yeah. yeah, Tim and I did it. We we did that distance, but everyone else, but like everyone else, did so much for us to make sure that we could. So it's amazing, you know. It's, and and all of the people who donated, like, you know, I'm so grateful for 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 everyone who's come and supported us or supported us financially, and that it's just it's it's amazing, you know. My knees were not so grateful, for, but you know everything else. I'm I'm for, you know, thank you to everyone who was involved.
0: So. So, what's next for the charity? What's next to the new normal? With you know, the big after the big fundraising, the big ride. What can people expect, and what should people look out for?
1: Uh, so, so I think this year is is going to be a, a huge focus on that workplace mm-hmm. training, you know, like really, really starting to to, to work alongside corporates. I mean, for us, it's about it's a, you know we we believe that all people should have access to free mental health support. Mm-hmm. And so that's what our work is you know it's it's going into these communities it's it's giving them the tools to be able to deliver those spaces it's It's upskilling as many people as possible i I genuinely believe in a in an empathetic world i i you know, passionate world and and so our work is dedicated to doing mm-hmm. that um and yeah, and you know i think. There's, there's a, there is there's a lot more to come, but we, we're in a position at the moment where we need to understand how we grow sustainably. Mm-hmm, yeah. We grew so quickly because we were just responding to the needs of yeah. people and now we're trying to grow sustainably. And so I think more of what we've been doing, but a lot of the work in, in the background. But I mean, if anyone's ever had... A bad experience with somebody at work and thinks, hey, we could really do some grief work in this work in Mm -hmm. this place. Get in touch, give us a call, give me a shout. (laughs) Well, look, it's a plug for our work.
0: (laughs) Well, with the final plug for the do normal, maybe we head to section three.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Now we're on to the quick Q&A, but we'll see how quick it is. So, Ben, (laughs) you've spoken about Riding and Regiments and Richmond. Uh, What what, what is more pro? What do you prefer?
0: Uh, The two parks. Yeah, Yeah, neither. They're garbage. (laughs) All right. Go on, Ben. (laughs)
2: Hot take. Are both garbage? Go on. You know.
1: Yeah, they're both terrible. They're both awful, aren't they? Look, they're parks in central London. Neither of them are nice. They're full of traffic. There's too many cyclists. There's like it's just carnage, it's chaos. And now, as well, we've got the, the added risk of bike theft. So, why do it?
0: <laughs> so, why do it? You make Fine. a compelling argument. You make a compelling. So, so when you're avoiding Regents or Richmond, where you can get your bike stolen and or get chopped off the wheel from other people, where are you going for coffee? I know that you mm-hmm. do. You're a man for a conversation. Hanging out with friends, where are you going for a coffee? Where's your spot? Tell the crew. Uh
1: Hux in Wolframstow is the main place that we go for coffee. Also, as well, Ethos Bros in Essex. Yes. If you don't know it, it's like a fully vegan cafe. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah. Very good.
2: Mm. So it, I, I was gonna ask you about your dislikes in cycling, but you may have already told us. But what are your dislikes in cycling?
1: Um, uh, (laughs) I,
2: you can list, like just list if you've got many, you
1: can rant. I don't think I have many. I don't think I have many. I wish the sport was more, um, inclusive. Mm. Like, I think that is a real problem with the sport. I wish it was more inclusive. The barriers to entry is something that I really dislike. It should be something that anyone can do. And actually it's not. And this idea that cycling is free, or like you know, outside is free—that the what a ridiculous notion! Because it's such a, a horribly expensive sport yep. at times, and um, yeah, that, they're the things I dislike. I think it's not inclusive enough. The barriers to entry are, are too high, and 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 the
0: the kind of cost of the sport is is just astronomical and stupid. Yep. Fair. And I think also maybe the thing that we talked about last week when I popped in, the suffering part.
1: Mm. I've come around on on that now
0: after thinking about it, but maybe it'd be good for you to articulate because you're, you know, maybe more experienced on that than, than I am really.
1: Yeah. I, I just don't think this this idea of suffering or being in pain is a particularly healthy thing. Mm. Um, you know, we all do things that are very, very difficult, physically, mentally challenging. Um, but actually, suffering is 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 a is a really awful message to put out there. And, and this idea that we should, you know, find ourselves in the in in some really hard, horrible, dark places is is a real. It's a really toxic toxic thing for the sport. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. Speaking, ah, maybe to completely go the other end. Speaking of non toxic things, things that should be embraced. <laughs> Thank you, Andre. Um Ben, the first time I I you know, you and I have gone back and forth on Instagram, you know, carrier pigeon, etc. etc. Uh the, but the first time that you and I probably had a conversation was actually when I was in the White bibs the famous White bibs Regent Day that you know this is this is be coming out in how March. How
2: many people did you meet that? Mate, how many people did you meet that day?
0: When you're a beacon of hope, like Superman. People come towards you almost in a magnetic sense. Ben, your thoughts on white bib yeah. shorts. We spoke off podcast, but maybe uh we'll give you some rope. Are you wearing them? Are you gonna be wearing the spin cycle skin suit for the uh, the social that we're doing? Pints and pave, thirty first of March, I believe. Are you going to be wearing white bib shorts or can we see you in white bib shorts potentially? Do you remember Johnny yes. Burrell?
1: Oh, yes. was he like
2: punk?
0: Yeah, he was Johnny Barra. No, he was or not indie guy. No, he was
1: he was he was he was the lead singer of Razorlight who definitely no. knocked a punk. Back. In that shit white jeans. Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: Should <laughs> <laughs> we leave that's that? Question, so that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's a yes <laughs> Go on.
2: so the final, the final question yep. is uh, cobbles or mountains uh, riding them, watching them
1: uh, riding up mountains is just yeah it's like I couldn't think of a much better way to spend my time to be honest it's a, it's a beautiful thing cobbles yeah, I'll ride them but I'd much rather go uphill.
0: Fair. Well, uh, we yeah. are a we're a white, short, cobble friendly podcast. So Ben, it's been <laughs> great. Um, yeah. Look, Ben, mate. Um, thank you massively for being on our podcast. It really means a lot. I think it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure. No, I think fundamentally, what you're doing is incredible, and. You know, we're recording this on December the thirteenth, so you've just gone over your thousand meeting master, and as you said, that's over ten thousand people that have been able to have the conversation. I think that my own you know, journey through mental health, just even having a, a friendly person that you see on a weekly basis, or someone that you, you can count on, or a group you can count on, I it, it's super crucial, right? Be it someone that you meet regularly or just being able to talk to someone. It'd be great if people, if you can let us know where can people reach out to you? How can people get involved in the new normal? And maybe you see us out on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So,
0: um, so yeah, I mean,
1: you know, I, I just want to endorse what you've just said there. Like we all need a place to speak. No matter who we are, or or how you know mentally resilient or tough we believe we are, it's irrelevant. We need a place to speak. We need a place to be able to just share what we're experiencing. And it's important. It's important to to have that. It's important to have community. It's important to have someone who will just listen. Whether that's a therapist, a partner, a friend, whoever it is, you know, you need to find that space. And with The New Normal, we do provide that. And, yeah, you can get in touch with us. Find us on Instagram, uh, TNN Charity, or head over to our website, newnormal.com, and reach out if you want to support us in any way, if you want to volunteer, if you want to come to a meeting and you want to know a little bit more about them, whatever it is, just get in touch.
0: Amazing. Ben, thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you in white shorts. Bye. <laughs> you you will be in the mobile <laughs> thanks everyone good evening thank you
2: cheers bye
0: bye bye bye